Hello, Taiwan This Week podcast listeners. Keith Mancona here. Today in the podcast, we've got something special for you guys. ICRT and the European Chamber of Commerce Taiwan put together a little roundtable for you. Basically, we got together a whole bunch of expert political commentators to take a look at the forthcoming presidential and legislative elections coming up this January. So in the next hour, you're going to be hearing that talk, uh, which was held on November 24th in front of a live audience at the Regent Hotel in Taipei. Uh, we did it over lunch, so don't be surprised if you hear some plate clattering there in the background, but mostly it's about the politics. Anyway, I hosted the event, so I am going to turn things over to me. Here we go. All right, well, thank you, everybody, for being here. Uh, we are today, of course, going to be talking about the 2016 presidential legislative elections. Uh, and there is an awful lot to get to today. There's uh, the political wrangling. There's the policy fights. There's the uh, personalities of the various candidates. We have a, a whole lot to get to. Uh, lucky for us, we have four distinguished panelists right at my right-hand side right now that are going to help us sort through all of that. Uh, and they are going to be coming at this thing from a wide variety of angles. They have uh, diverse expertise in a number of f fields and also uh, diverse political backgrounds. So we're going to get a, a very sweeping scope of this election, a very broad view of it. To start things off, before uh, we started off today, I put one question to each of our panelists. I asked them if you could point to uh, one decisive moment in this election that has been definitive and telling about the shape of this election, what moment would you point to? Uh, so, you know, the one moment that if you didn't know anything else about this election and you just knew about this one moment, uh, what would it be that would really tell you what this thing is about? Uh, so we're going to be going down the line and getting their answer, getting their take on that question from each one of them. And as we go, uh, we'll be giving them a little bit of an introduction. Uh, so... Let's get going then. First up, we're going to be hearing from Dr. Shen Fuxiong. He is a familiar face around here. He's spoken at a number of these events. He's also a familiar face throughout Taiwan for his expansive career in Taiwan's legislature and as an incisive economic and political commentator. So, uh, Dr. Shen, uh, what is your take? Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. For Miss Tai, there's no telling moment at all. Because, because Miss Tsai start high in terms of supporting level, and she remain high, and we end up high. So there's no fluctuation. But if you want me to tell something about, is any moment that I'm impressed? I think it's the time she released a new book, and then give the public her opinion of the book. Even the title of the book is called Faction of Ying, Ying Pai. Ying is her name. Pai is a faction. She tell the people in the country that from now on within the party, there is no faction at all other than the Ying Pai. And to me, I'm astonished and I'm surprised because, you know, in my memory through the human history, other than the Nazis, there's no dictator can say that. You know, <laughs> even Chiang Kai-shek dared to say that within the KMT, there's a Jiang Pai and nothing else. But Tsai Ing-wen did say that, and I'm very surprised and shocked. But then, for the KMT part, I think the most uh, astonishing moment for me is not the time they change the candidate. Actually, it's a moment when the deadline approach for the big shot to come forward to register their name as the candidate, and the nuns show up. 
and they're not sure. I think if you look at the entire growth, all the important countries, even the insignificant little country, there's no such a case that among the ruling party, there's no member of the ruling party wants to be the next president. Can you remember anything like that? Never, never. But in this case, not a single big shot. Winston KMT wants to be the next president. And that really tells you something, that the KMT is really like a piece of dead wood down the stream that is going sailing to the sunset. Thank you very much. All right. Dr. Shun, thank you. Two for the price of one right there. Two for the price of one. Two moments. All right, we're just going to move right on down the line. Up next, we have uh, Dr. Nathan Botto. He is an assistant research fellow for the Institute of Political Science at familiar, another familiar name here, Academia Sinica. And he also does research for the Election Study Center at National Jungja University. So uh, he has got his eyes squarely on the prize right here on Taiwan politics. Uh, Dr. Nathan Botto, thank you for being here. What is the moment you would point to? I have to be more charismatic than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to uh, keep it punchy. Keep he, it punchy. He actually already beat me to it because one of the things I thought about talking about was the registration when none of the KMT uh, heavyweights came forward. But I decided that uh, I'd actually go back even further uh, because this race to me was decided even longer ago than the beginning of this year. I'm going to go back to September 2013 when uh, – Ma Ying-jeou launched a purge against the speaker his, from his own party, Speaker Wong. Uh, and that was the moment when the KMT's internal squabbles burst out into the public. That was the moment when the KMT's uh, difficulties became probably irretrievable. And since that point, the KMT has been uh, involved in all kinds of internal disputes, internal squabbles. Uh, the the, the as, as Dr. Sun said, it's drifting down the river, and, and there seems to be no rescue. That, would, to me, was the point of no return when uh, Tsai Ing-wen's candidacy became, moved from, probab- from, from likely to probable and maybe even stronger than probable. So to me, that was probably the defining moment in this whole presidential cycle. All righty. Thank you, Dr. Nathan Bado. Uh, sounds like two counts against the KMT so far. Uh, Let's see if we can help that score with Eric Huang. He is the KMT section head of international affairs and foreign media. Uh, I also understand he's got a bit of a journalism background. He did reporting for the China Post. So he's going to break down for us what's going on in the KMT and Taiwan more broadly. Eric Huang, thanks for being here. Uh, what's your moment? Well, thank you. Um, I am much more optimistic than Dr. Shen. I don't think KMT is a dead wood, you know, drifting down the river. Um, <laughs> or uh, I will do everything I could to stop that from happening. Um, the, the defining moment uh, of this election, I think, is when um, Madam Home, our uh, previous candidate, said that she believed our constitution is an eventual unification with the mainland China. Um, I think that's when our uh, KMT supporters really made up their mind that they, they would go with the idea that it's okay to replace her with a, a new candidate. And I think with the uh, Chairman Chu's nomination, uh, the election really started. Um, I think before that, uh, Dr. Tsai and the DPP, they really tried to downplay the election. They tried to avoid Madden Home at all costs. But now they have um, no other choice but engaging some of the policy differences. All right, Eric Huang, thank you. And uh, rounding out the panel, we have Dr. Ketty Chen. She's another one of those political scientist types. She directs research at the Association of Public Issues and Studies, 
Uh, but she doesn't just study politics. She's uh, right there in the thick of it as the DPP's deputy director of uh, its international affairs department. Uh, Dr. Katie Chen, thanks for being here. What is the moment you would point to? I, I, I guess in, in my personal opinion, the most defining moment of uh, this presidential election was that weekend where we watched um, Madam Hong uh, re- was be uh, Madam Hong being replaced by Chairman Chu, and then in the subsequent days, Dr. Tsai opened her campaign headquarters. Um, because of the party representatives' uh, meetings of DPP was uh, in in Taoyuan, um, Dr. Tsai's opening of her campaign headquarters is the first time that you see droves of supporters uh, crowding the streets in, uh, demonstrating in a very public manner uh, support for Dr. Tai. So I guess for me personally, um, she also, Dr. Tai also delivered a very powerful speech um, compared to how she used to address public uh, in the past. Um, I really thought that that was one of the most defining moments of this presidential election because it marks the start of uh, 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 I guess electoral battles um, in the in this time's presidential election. All right, Dr. Keddy Chen, thank you. Uh, those are your panelists, guys. Uh, please give them a warm welcome for today. So as we just heard, this has been actually a very eventful presidential uh, election campaign. A lot of events have happened. Uh, I, I, I might add to this list, there was the Mashi meeting, there was uh, it's highest trip to the U.S. A, a lot of things have happened, uh, but one thing that has been fairly consistent throughout this uh, whole presidential run is the polling numbers. I mean, there's consistently been a gap between Tsai and the KMT. She's been leading the race for a, a long time, and that's just something that really needs to be acknowledged right from uh, the start off. You can't get too far into this conversation without uh, taking a square look at those polling numbers. Uh, but to start off this conversation, the, what I want to do Uh, is kind of look at what is uh, behind those polling numbers by asking the question, uh, what is this election uh, really about? When voters go to those polling booths in January, what's going to be on their mind? What's going to be uh, making that decision? And uh, to start off this bit of the conversation, I actually want to start with Nathan Botto uh, to get your thoughts on uh, what is this election really about? What's going to be determining it? Let me start by uh, going back to the polling numbers because they're really quite dramatic. Uh, we all know that Tsai Ing-wen's been leading the presidential race, but I want to talk about the party identification numbers. Uh, party identification is one of the most powerful concepts in political science. You ask people uh, among the major parties in our society, which one do you support? And if they're willing to say, I support such and such party, that's quite a powerful statement. And uh, that's the best predictor we have of actual behavior, especially voting behavior. So before the 2012 election, KMT party ID was somewhere in the upper 30s, around 38% more or less. It spiked right at the 2012 election up into the upper uh, lower 40s, so around 42%. And almost immediately after the election, it started crashing. Um, and uh, it's crashed fairly consistently over the last four years. At, in December of last year, according to the Taiwan Election and Democratization Surveys, which is the main academic survey, uh, KMT party ID had fallen all the way to 20%. Uh, it's rebounded a little bit, so it's in the lower 20s now. So KMT party ID has crashed by about 40%, give or take some odd, uh, over the last four years. And that's really the story 
of what's going on in this election. Uh, the DPP party ID for the first few years of the second of Ma's second term didn't really increase much, but it has started increasing in the last year, such that now for the first time in Taiwan's uh, democratic history, the DPP party ID is clearly above the KMT's party ID by 5%, uh, maybe, maybe a little bit more. This is something new. So we're not in that old world anymore. Um, now, what is the election about? Uh, elections in Taiwan, every time you ask this question, somebody will tell you, well, this election isn't about China. It's about garbage collection or you know, taxes or something. Every election in Taiwan is about China. Taiwan has one cleavage that organizes politics and tells you which side you're going to be on, and that's something about China, whether your your, your identity, uh, whether you think uh, what you think Taiwan's future status should be, or just how you want Taiwan's economy to interact with China's economy or the rest of the world's economy. You have to have an orientation towards China. Uh, this election is not going to be any different. It is fundamentally about China, and everything else is adjusting off that basic structure. So I'm, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> Let everybody else build on that. All righty. We're going to move now to uh, Dr. Shun. So we've been hearing from Nathan that uh, party politics are playing big. Uh, Eric Ju is uh, taking a, quite a big hit because of those party politics, and that uh, cross-strait relations is also going to play big in uh, the upcoming election. Uh, Dr. Shun, what do you see there? Uh, I, I see about... I talk about, let me talk about the uh, poll first. I think the turnout, the voting turnout will be very low. I would say around only 70%. And my prediction about the final outcome, the difference in terms of vote will be more than 2 million votes. I think Dr. Chai will win by more than 2.3 million votes. You hear me saying that here. <laughs> and... Uh, and the KMT always believe the cross-strait issue is their strong issue, that they always have the advantage, but not anymore, not in this time. And I think in this time, the campaign has no issue at all because you know, people don't care about the housing, they don't care about the education or about any other things because they consider both parties are, in fact, the same. They are all, during the campaign, they say they are you know, kind of, leaning towards the left. But in reality, they're all right-wing parties. And uh, so they don't trust them. And the e economic issues should be the important one. But people think both parties are inept in handling the economic issue anyway. So the bottom line in this campaign is only one thing. People are sick of it. People are sick of the KMT. So they want change. And that's it. So the final outcome will be like, uh, you know, I always talk about the number of votes, but if you want to change that into percentage, I would say it's about 59 versus 32%. Thank you. All right, already got some numbers to it. That's, uh, that's encouraging. Uh, Eric, so uh, we're hearing a lot that it's uh, not really about the issues this election. It's uh, more about people's feelings about the parties. Uh, what, do you, what, what do you see there? Well, let me start with Dr. Sun, $10,000 bet, 2 million votes. Okay. Got some skin in the game. <laughs> you guys got that on camera. Well, we're recording this. Perfect. I, 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 That's no, going to be on the radio. I, I was referring to the the, um, the uh, Romney moment, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think in any election, uh, politicians' performance is always 
on the top of voters' mind. And in any normal democracy, voter will want to change after the ruling party for two terms. So um, I think this election, um, cross-street relations is not as apparent on the voters' mind, uh, given I believe President Ma did a great job maintaining a stability in cross-street relations past seven years or so. I think this election primarily will be people's disappointment towards the KMT, and um, these issues namely are uh, mostly um, social issues, domestic issues, uh, uh, salary wages, job opportunities, uh, housing rights, among others. So if this election could be of a China... Uh, if China could play a big issue of this election, I think KMT would do much better. But however, that's not the case. Um, people have a lot of frustrations against the Ma government. So I think these, these, so Ma's performance and the social issues are probably what's on the voters' mind. All right. And uh, rounding out the panel, uh, Keddy Chen, what's your take? If... Uh it were like Dr. Shen said that um, the elections is not about uh, any issues, then um, the DPP has been uh, rolling out policy platforms. In fact, uh, in total, 19 of them, once every uh, week or sometimes uh, once every two weeks on all kinds of policies. Um, based on the internal poll that we conducted, that um, what people care uh, mostly about. Um, instead of focusing on people's frustration, um, what we learned is that people really wanted uh, better lives. Um, they really wanted um, a political party, um, um, any political parties that could come in to try to help to make to make their lives better. The people care about uh, bread and butter issues, whether they will be able to obtain jobs that will pay better. Um, being able to have uh, children because Taiwan is now an aging society where young people are having statistically less than, less than one child. And most of the reason, most important reason that they cite was because uh, price of everything was uh, too expensive. Price of childcare, price of formula, um, things like that. So um, also one of the issues that people do care about when, when we speak to them is that they care about food safety issues, how they could be healthier because the scandal that plagued Taiwan in the past year. Um, but when we ask them about cross-strait issues, it's not because that uh, the people do not care. China will always be a variable when it comes to Taiwanese politics. However, what the people care more about right now is to um, better... Uh, their lives and uh, any politicians or political entities that could come in to help them garner that, um, the people will. Uh, I think the people will turn their support to that to that politician or that political party. All right, thank you, Ketty. Uh, it sounds like Nathan wants to respond. Uh, we do need to keep it going a little bit, so for these response sections, I do uh, ask that we keep it relatively brief. But go ahead. Just let me throw in a little more more uh, public opinion stuff. Uh, so the Taiwan election and democratization surveys has asked about uh, satisfaction with Ma Ying-jeou's performance, and as you all know, it's it's pretty bad. Uh, for most of his second term, it's been about fifteen or twenty percent. But we've also asked, uh, are you satisfied with specific areas? In, in his performance. And cross-straits and foreign affairs are consistently the highest that he's rated. So uh, he gets about 35% satisfaction in those areas, uh, which is higher than everything else, but still not high. Uh, you can pass probably on 35% if you're strong on everything else. 
Uh, but those are still more dissatisfaction than satisfaction. When you get to the bread and butter issues, what we call the the minsung, minsung, so fa, uh, the people's livelihood issues, then you get down to about 10% uh, uh, approval rating on those. Uh, and some of the other things that are low uh, include handling the economy. Uh, all right. Well, actually, Nathan, I kind of want to stick with you for this next question. Uh, would it, you're, you're a bit of a numbers guy. Would that be fair to say in the political science game you're a bit of a numbers guy? All right. Well, I read your blog. I see a lot of numbers on that blog. I'm going to call you a numbers guy. Now, Shen Fushong just gave us a number. He said he made the bold claim KMT is going to win by 2.3 million votes. Uh, are, are, are you ready to make a similar claim, put some skin in the game as well? Predictions are always dangerous, <laughs> especially predictions about the future. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a good political so scientist. I have gone back and looked at uh, old, old races and looked at especially the ones where one candidate was leading in the surveys before the election by quite a lot to see whether that race closed up or not. And what I've found in Taiwan is usually if you have a 20% lead in the polls before the election – it comes out to about a 20% win in the actual election. So, if you're, so for example, the current race is somewhere maybe around 44 to 22 in the polls. That might translate into a 56-34 win. So, again, a 22% gap, but uh, just a different 22%. Uh, so Dr. Sen's prediction to me doesn't seem unrealistic. It might be at the higher end for uh, Dr. Tsai. But it doesn't seem that unrealistic to me. All right. So putting some shape to this thing. Uh, really quickly, before we move on, I want to give uh, Eric a chance to give his thoughts on uh, the outcome of this race. Uh, I was speaking to you earlier, and you were saying that perhaps uh, the trajectory that Eric Jew, on, uh, Eric Jew is on will make up some of that gap. We are optimistic to cash grounds uh, to Dr. Tsai. Giving you an example in New Taipei City, um, Eric Chu during Eric Chu's election last year, uh, he led by a large margin in the polls, but he only ended up winning 20,000 votes. So the, 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 the election, the outcome of the election had heavily related to the, the, the voters' turnout. Um, the, it might be low or it might be high. But if you look at the trend of this um, election cycle since Eric Chu's nomination, we are catching up to Dr. Tsai. Uh, so, so far by 5%, and we are very optimistic we can catch up by another 10% by maybe the end of December. All right, well, we're going to move now to uh, taking a look at the politics for the legislative races. And uh, I think in the past, this would actually be a pretty early point in the proceedings to already be moving over to the legislative races. But uh, as many commentators have noted, uh, in a lot of ways, that's really where the action is this time around. Because uh, we do know that the DPP is going to make some big gains in the legislative UN. The question is, are those gains going to be big enough to get them to a majority in the legislative UN. Uh, and if that were to happen, uh, that would be historic for the party. Uh, they've never before had a majority in the legislative UN. Even during the Chun years, uh, the KMT had a majority. So this would be uncharted waters for politics uh, in Taiwan. And uh, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. Uh, so once again, I'm going to put uh, Nathan in the uncomfortable prediction of making uh, position of making a prediction. Uh, what kind of odds are you giving, or let's not even put it that way, what do we know at this point about uh, the DPP's chances for making it to that majority in the legislative UN? So the, the legislative electoral system is, is tilted slightly in the KMT's favor. Uh, the, the DPP has to get 
a little bit more than 50% of the two-party vote to, to get a, a, a majority in the legislature uh, because of the KMT will do better in some of the smallest districts. So it's a little, there's a little slight malapportionment in the KMT's favor. If the DPP gets, let's say, 53% or 52% probably of the two-party vote, it's, it's going to get a majority. Uh, or let me put it this way. If the green side gets a, a, a 52% of the, the two-camp vote, then the green side will get a majority in the legislature. Uh, almost all of all, all the seats that could be won in the districts uh, on the green side are DPP. So uh, I think that if, if, the, if the DPP gets 52% of the two-party vote, they'll probably have a single-party majority. Uh, and at this point, looking at the national polling numbers, it looks to me like it's very likely that the DPP will have a majority and perhaps even a comfortable majority. Uh, I think the KMT now is... They, in their recent statements, they're, they're not even suggesting they're going to hold on to a majority. Their optimistic statements are that they'll have 50 seats out of 113 total. Uh, their pessimistic statements are that they're trying to hold on to 40 seats out of 113 total. Uh, I think they might not even hold on to 40. So that's, that's, but that's my guess. I, I don't have real hard numbers because we don't have real good polling numbers for individual races. All right, moving to the other panelists now, I want to put a slightly different uh, question to you guys. Uh, Of course, you can respond to what Nathan just said, but uh, the question that I want to put to you guys is, what changes in Taiwan politics if the DPP does make it to that legislative majority? Uh, How do the dynamics of Taiwan's politics change once we cross that threshold? Uh, And let's start off here with Eric. So, of course, feel free to uh, respond to what uh, Nathan said, but uh, that's kind of the focus that I'm looking for here. Even with a DVP majority in the LY, um, KMT will still be relevant uh, within the, the the lawmaking of Taiwan. You know, given the current system, you know, every party will need to sign off before a bill goes into the vote. So now we have the small parties factor as well. Um, you know, one uh, one thing to watch out for is Jim Song has united with Ming uh, Dang. Uh, Republican Party. Okay, so it, it looks like they might uh, wing a few seats there. Um, for the KMT, um, we for for th- this this coming election, um, all of our legislators signed a petition to promise that they will push for reform in the well ly. Uh, Speaker Wong went on TV over the weekend um, speaking on this matter as well. So we believe even if the DPP wins majority, um, this term will be very different from the laws because we will push for reforms and we want to see how the DPP respond and maybe uh, maybe we hope violence will no longer be an issue in uh, upcoming LY terms. All right. Uh, so that was Eric's take. Uh, Ketty, let's move on to you. Um, it's very good to hear that uh, the DPP legislative candidate have uh, signed a promise to reform the legislature. Um, because for Dr. Tsai um, and for our legislative candidates, um, what the DPP is looking for is to create a legislature who are more responsive to the demands of the people and to a, a legislature who is more reflective of the desire of the people. Um, and also um, open communication with 
legislators of other parties, including the KMT and the smaller parties, because um, there are issues that the legislature is uh, supposed to be deciding that uh, warrant bipartisan support, for example, um, national security, um, how to better economy, um, social welfare. These issues, um, it's essential for constituents or citizens of Taiwan regardless of their party affiliations. So again, um, as I mentioned before, all the issues that um, the constituents told us that they care about, we're looking forward to working with other parties within the legislature to try to make people's life better. All right, thank you, Ketty. Uh, so we have a bit of a diversity of opinion right there, uh, and uh, let's round things out with uh, Dr. Shun. Okay, what with the, uh, after that voting, after the new Congress is formed, what will happen? I think for the first time you will see peace in the House because the, because the congressmen from the DPP will behave like a gentleman because they are in charge. You know, there's no point to really run you know, the house into a chaotic situation when the boss is your, you know, when the president is your own man. And uh, then what happened if the KMT member will follow the DPP member's behavior now? I think they won't. Number one, is number is too small. It's only 33, 34, that's too small. And number two, the KMT new member has no fighting spirit at all. You know, <laughs> they are no good fighter. So they are no good fighter. So for the first time, you will see peace in the house. But then how about across the street? You know, that's one part. The blue camp misread Dr. Tai. Dr. Tai, I think she is a nice lady, low-key, mild. And, uh, you know, after eight years of uh, waiting, struggling, and hardworking, eventually she becomes the president. So she will really use this opportunity to have a good administrative record. So she won't spoil the whole thing. So, and she will really take good care of the Beijing authority. Also, Beijing authority want her to chant 92 consensus. This is like a Buddhism, you know, you have to chant no more amidohu, no more amidohu in order to become a Buddhist. But you, don't, you have to do that? You don't have to. See, I think, you know, before the voting is cast, Miss Tai will never say 92 consensus. Those are the four dirty words. If she say that, the boat will run away. So she won't say it. But the, her final statement will appear in the five, May 20 speech in the inauguration. But I prediction he, say, he might say this. He might say, I will just follow the constitution of the Republic of China. And then that may not be enough to please Beijing. So she might add something like, all the documents about the fate of Taiwan within my party in the past, in some way, should be, can be frozen during my administration. Is that enough? Is that enough? Well, I think you should ask Beijing authority. Do you really have to change in the sutra in order to be happy? I'm not sure. Thank you. I, claps are coming out for Shun every time he uh, finishes talking. Oh, you can bring the claps. Bring the claps. That's all right. Bring the claps. <laughs> you should drop your mic every time you're done. I, I notice a lot of people are writing really furiously whenever he spits out those numbers. Are you guys going to be running to your bookies after this thing?
Uh, all right, so that actually, uh, speaking about CrossRate, that uh, is a nice lead-in to the next subject that I want to get to, because uh, we haven't been talking too much about the policy end of things, and so we should get to that now. Uh, and, of course, CrossRate is always one of the biggest policy issues in any election. Uh, this time around, we actually have a great focal point to get into this with, uh, with the Mashi meeting just uh, at the beginning of this month. Uh, and... Obviously, depending on which camp you fall into, you're going to have a very different take on the significance of that meeting. Uh, but I want to know, is it really going to be something that is going to influence this election? Is it going to change the way that voters think about how these parties are positioning themselves in terms of cross-strait relations? Uh, and uh, we don't need to just talk about the presidential election. Let's uh, open this up to both the presidential and the legislative. Uh, and once again, let's start off with Nathan Botta. What's your thoughts? I get the first word on everything. <laughs> uh, Set the table. Set the table. Set the table. So the polls say that the the the, the Ma Xihui, uh didn't really change the electoral uh, dynamics very much. Uh, both sides basically seem satisfied with their interpretation of what happened, uh, and both sides are happy to say that you know the KMT says we did great and the DPP says they did terribly, and their supporters are happy to accept that. Uh, if any, if there were any changes, it, it looks maybe like a Taiwan's lead has expanded just a teeny bit, but but it's not a big deal. Uh, I think the bigger effect of this on the legislative races is not so much in changing people's minds, but in reframing the elections, because the KMT's biggest advantage in the legislative races right now is that for the 79 district and indigenous seats. They have 40 incumbents running, and many of those incumbents are running in districts that will vote for Thai in this election. Those incumbents are the key to the KMT's uh, campaign. They've been doing constituency service, working the district, building networks, uh, building local relations for the past decade, sometimes two decades. Uh, and, and the KMT really needs to localize their elections and say, you know, let's let's – Vote for the DPP for the national thing, but here in our local race, remember that I'm your guy. I do all. I have your 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 your, your associations. I, I pave your roads. I, I fix your schools. Whatever. Um, and the problem with this for the KMT is that the Mashi meeting has nationalized the level of discourse. It's reminded us of these big, broad national trends. Uh, think about China. Think about party politics. Uh, and if the if the in the local races voters start thinking not about constituency service but thinking about party politics, that probably cancels out the KMT's big advantage of having all those incumbents. I think that's probably the biggest effect of the Mashi meeting. All right, uh, let's move on over to Eric. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Probably be a big been a factor to the election so far, but uh, Mashi in the. the to the, to the, in the best scenario of KMT is that the Mashi meeting might bring back the China factor back to the voters' minds. And um, if we can have this meeting for the future leaders, it will force the DPP to make a position on this, to, make, uh, to force Dr. Tsai to be clear on what, um, her, what, what her definition of status quo is. And 
we we do believe um, this Mashi meeting is positive for Taiwan uh, heading to the future directions. And I, I want to give credit to President Ma and the government that they did this honorably, and this was very transparent. Uh, they had several uh, press conferences after the meeting. So we think yet we haven't seen a big impact on this meeting yet, but I think going forward, uh, this can f uh, help the KMT to win more votes. And Katie Chen? I, uh, I tend to agree with uh, Nathan. As someone um, who studied uh, KMT grassroots um, elections for quite a few years, um, in fact, I wrote my dissertation on the campaign strategy of the KMT, um, I, what I observe is um, what Nathan observed, that uh, the KMT legislative candidates and local, um, um, local politicians, they're very good at uh, constituent services and trying to, um, and their attempt to entice local population um, um, to believe and also cast their votes for them that the KMG candidate locally is their guy, that if you have any trouble, um, this is the person that you should go to. Um, however, the Mashi meeting, um, as Nathan said, it elevated the China factor um, or downgrade, elevate? brought the national issue from the refocused yes thanks um, the national issue of cross relations um, to the local level which is uh, in, in, in my um, analysis as an, as an um, academic that it does not the refocus is not to the KMT's uh, uh, advantage um, as far as uh, status quo is concerned, um, for Dr. Tsai, the status quo actually is what the people desire, um, that they enjoy their democratic way of life and they keep enjoy um, their right to choose their leaders. So I guess for me personally, Dr. Tsai's definition of status quo is more than clear. Um, also, when it comes to the issue of transparency of the Mashi meeting, um, we've noticed that uh, the press conference held by uh, President Ma um, <coughs> happened um, when the decision were made and also after um, the meeting happened. And I, I think from my observation is that that was the reason um, the backlash from the population was greater um, and that Dr. Tsai's polling actually risen um, just a little bit. But overall, in my personal opinion, that the Mashi meeting did not really contribute to adding or subtracting the poll polling numbers for this election. All right, and uh, we're going to let Dr. Shun have the last word on this one. Okay, talk about Masi meeting. It's a big mistake for the KMT. But too bad that President Ma is such a person that is totally lack of insight. He thought that this is a good thing for the Taiwan, and particularly it's good for his party. But it's wrong. Do you know why it's wrong? Because he changed his bottom line. And he let Chairman Xi to use him as a figure to give the message to Dr. Tsai. And that for the people in Taiwan consider is a koto, kowtow, koto. It's a considered koto. You just think about, we don't need too much, you know, theory or argument behind my point. You just think about the entire population in mainland China, like the idea, you know? And in Taiwan, the small faction of the blue camp, I mean the deep blue, particularly the deep blue tent with red. Those people 
like marshy meeting. When you have all the red over there, and the deep blue tent with red like the idea, then what the majority of people in Taiwan think about it? It's bad. They consider that's bad. And the, the reason is it show in the, the results show in the poll. Because after the meeting, Mr. Zhu's rating doesn't go up. But does it go down? No. Because it's already too low. There's no room to fall to go down. You know, if this meeting is so good, then the rating should go up a little bit, you know, two points, three points, or four points. Not at all. And because the common people in the mainstream of Taiwan consider this is a betrayal of the interests of Taiwanese people. And in particular, narrow down the choice of people, you know, after the DPP takeover. And that is very stupid on Mr. Mao's part. And, uh, you know, he keeps saying, he, he even sent a letter to the editors to, to uh, USA Today. And, uh, you know, that's the reason he has no insight at all. He's so happy. He's so, you know, think the, I lay down the bridge for the people who follow me to cross the bridge and uh, follow the rule of traffic. He's wrong. There's no such bridge. If there's any bridge, it's like a London Bridge. You know, London Bridge is not you lay down the bridge. It's you raise the bridge or you cross the bridge. When the boat is crossing, you raise the bridge. And who controls rising or falling down the bridge? It's the people in Beijing, not in Taipei. See? That's the reason why I, I think Eric doesn't trust me, you know, but believe me. That, that meeting hurt your campaign a lot, a lot. Thank you. All right. So uh, we are running a little bit short on time. Uh, we've heard some great analysis so far, but uh, it's taken up a, a fair amount of time. Uh, so what we're going to do for this last segment uh, is I'm going to open up the floor uh, for uh, people in the audience to ask what questions you may have. Now, we haven't even gotten a chance to touch on economic policy and we're in the European Chamber of Commerce, after all, so that's quite an oversight. But I imagine that uh, some folks out, out there may be able to make up for that. So uh, if anybody just wants to raise their hand and jump in, does anybody have uh, a question for our panelists today? Uh, say your name and uh, then follow it with your question. Sure. Hi. I'm Jordan Walsh from the Australian office. I'm sorry I, this question actually isn't about economics, but uh, it was more so just to touch on a subject that uh, Dr. Bado uh, mentioned, which is the steady, steadily declining party identification with the KMT. And the other side of that is the steadily increasing uh, index of Taiwan independence sentiment. And I was just wondering what the panel thought. Everyone knows what the DPP stands for in the future. What does the KMT stand for going forward, given that more and more people identify with um, Taiwan as a sovereign country, and uh, this is reflected in its, the KMT's steadily decreasing index of people who actually are willing to come out and say that they support it. This is directed at Eric. Primarily. Uh, Eric, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I believe by default that KMT should be able to win every election. The reason is because I think majority of the Taiwanese voters um, are economic voters. They want uh, economic growth. Uh, they want to... Um, live a better life. And I think going forward, that will be the KMT's identity, which has been in the past, and we, we somehow lost this image um, in the past eight years under Ma's governments. So going forward, we have to convince the voters once again, um, we are the party, 
who can deal with cross regulations, which um, ha has a, a heavy connection to the economy. So we can do cross trade and we can do the economy better. Um, I think going forward, that'll be my party's image. All right. Uh, any other questions out there? Yeah, talking about, uh, I'm Doris Wu from the Belgian office, Taipei. Because talking about economic growth, you know, Taiwan has to join uh, regional agreements like uh, TPP or other regional agreement. Uh, because the DPP is most likely to be the party in power for the next term. What about uh, DPP's uh, measures or efforts to help Taiwan join the in, uh, regional agreement? Like to join DPP the Trans-Pacific Partnership, yes. Right. Thank you. Uh, so, Dr. Shun, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, joining the Trans-Pacific Partnership? I'll talk in a more broad term, just the partnership. I think in terms of economic issue, Eric say, you know, it's the strong issue for the KMT. Not anymore. You know, because if you ask people, do you have a good life now? Of course, everyone say no. That if you ask people before the election, every country, always people say no. But do you expect that life will be better after the election? The answer is no too. You know, so, but they won't change anyway. But now if you ask the candidate or the major, the major party about how do you handle or improve the economic situation in Taiwan, the opinion are actually almost identical. Number one, to upgrade the industry. Upgrade, you know, or innovation. Upgrade and innovation, that's number one. And number two, has some good partnership like a TPP or RCEP. But those are really not an easy one for either party. But then, only those two things, there's no argument about against each other. They all agree on. But then another one very important one is the constitutional factor, constitutional health of this economic body. To me, Taiwan for the last 15 years has gone downhill. Can, do you believe, you know, I have, I have put in a lot of uh, time and attention to study the macroeconomics of Taiwan in the last two years. Let me tell you, Taiwan right now, it's one of the country, the major country, the top 20 good country among in the world that has the lowest growth in real wage, number one. Number two, has the highest foreign reserve against uh, GDP. Now it's standing around 80%, except Switzerland. You know, Switzerland right now is more than 100%, but that occurred only in the last three months because they changed the rule of a Swiss uh, franc, right, At, against the European dollars. And then number three, Taiwan has the lowest tax rate against GDP, 12%. It's even lower than Singapore. You know? And number four, Taiwan has the highest PPP, that's purchasing power parity, against the GDP. You know, Taiwan right now stands 2.0. 2.0 is underdeveloping country. You know, for America, it's one. And the most advanced country is less than one. If you talk about 2.0 PPP divided by GDP, you are talking about Cambodia. You know? So Taiwan creates such an environment to facilitate the manufacturing of the cheap stuff and helping use all our resources to helping selling. You know, Taiwan is a forever a seller, you know? Regardless of the outside situation, it's a seller, always a seller. If you the things you cannot sell in the inside of the department store, you sell outside as a vendor. You know? 
So that part, I think right now, neither party is addressing the issue. If that issue is not addressed, then the innovation or the partnership with other country can never be realized. So I really worry about we are running into a middle income trap. You know, the medium income trap, we are standing at 21,000 US dollars. And the People's Republic of China are entering a low income trap, which means 8,000 US dollars per year. See, and this is a very bad situation. So my predict this year's GDP is less than one, even run into negative. And next year is no better. Next year is somewhere around one to 1.5. So this issue is very important, but too bad. I think, you know, I want Katie to go home and tell Dr. Chai, you know, this is very important, more important than listen to Chairman Xi. All righty. Uh, okay, so we're running a little bit short on time, but let's uh, still give Ketty a chance to throw in her two cents. So we're hearing a lot there about uh, the weakness of Taiwan's economy and also the fact that uh, the KMT uh, does support uh, joining a lot of these trade groups, uh, such as the TPP. So could you give us a sense of what's distinctive about uh, the DPP's policy in, in approaching uh, this issue? For, um, for the DPP, um, we do... Um, understand the urgency of joining regional economic uh, mechanisms such as the TPP and RCEP. Um, what uh, Dr. Tsai also understands is that in order for Taiwan to be a contributing uh, partner within the international organizations such as uh, TPP and RCEPT, um, Taiwan's domestic economic structure needs to be reformed. From what Dr. Sun was uh, mentioning about the supply-driven um, model to an innovation-based model for Taiwan. So therefore, um, um, oh, just, just uh, to mention that the, the DPP has uh, a TPP task force um, that was formed uh, last year. And so the task force has, has been um, meeting very regularly um, with economic experts uh, to discuss issues such as um, how to... Um, how to get how to reform regulations and how to create a more investment friendly environment for Taiwan and also how to make different industries for example the agricultural industries in Taiwan uh, more competitive when it comes to uh, if Taiwan um, does open uh, uh, try to endorse policies of trade liberalization so that was uh, that was a that, that's the gist of um, the DPP's position in joining uh, regional economic mechanism. And for bettering Taiwan's uh, economy, um, there are five different projects that the DPP, or Dr. Tsai's uh, economic platform that it's pushing. It's um, focused on uh, national defense um, projects and also a precision, uh, precision machinery um, project. And also we're trying to create a biotech industry cluster. Um, also, as well as uh, creating the Silicon Valley for Asia, we're aiming at uh, Taoyuan to be the place to do that. And also um, to improve uh, green energy industries um, of Taiwan. So these are some of the projects that the DPP has in mind, and we have rollout policy papers um, on these subjects. So if um, those of you who are interested, please do um, come see me afterwards. I'm more than happy to forward you some of the papers that we have. So I just uh, well, I, I would like to give Eric a chance to uh, give your thoughts on uh, the economic situation and a little bit on what the KMT's approach might be. Our record 
uh, of uh, liberalizing trades with different countries. We have signed um, trade agreements with Singapore and New Zealand um, in the past, and we are working uh, in, in LY to sign TIFA with the United States. So um, our party's position is we want to join the TPP as well as RCEP, and we believe the, um, liberalizing the Taiwan's economy um, will help us uh, grow in that area. All righty. Well, uh, we are running really short on time. Uh, the uh, very last thing I want to do, and I, I'm, I'm hoping you can each keep your uh, answers to 20 seconds or less, really, really uh, got to rush through this, is I've asked, uh, since we don't have time to go over each regional uh, legislative race individually, I've asked them to uh, pick out a couple that they think that we should be watching because they're uh, especially telling about the legislative race as a whole. So we're going to come opposite order right back down the line, starting with Ketty Chen. Uh, Ketty, what is the race that we should be watching in the legislative year? For me, I'm watching the race in Xinzhu. Xinzhu race. And uh, real quick, why is that? Uh, because of um, uh, legislative leader Ke Jianming versus New Power Party. Um, so it, it will, it's, it's an interesting race so far, so I'm interested to see the results. All righty. That is Dr. Ketty Chen. Uh, Eric, uh, what's your take? Yes. Um, uh, whether or not he could be uh, our, the KMT incumbent. All right. Uh, that is uh, Eric Huang. Nathan Bato, what's your take? The, the race I'm, I'm interested in is the new Taipei 10 race, which is a pretty anonymous race in uh, Tucheng and Sanxia. But that, to me, is probably the 57th, 58th, 59th seat for the DPP. Uh, and they're running against an incumbent person who's well entrenched. So that, to me, is the one that would swing the DPP into a majority. All right, Dr. Nathan Bado, and uh, always with the last word, Dr. Shenfu Xiong, what is your take? It's the same, you know, I'm with the Eric, with Eric because I watch the Tan Tamsui district because there's a rivalry between Li Qinghua and Huang Guochang. And Huang Guochang is the chairman of the new party. It's a new party for independence movement. And Li Qinghua is the son of Li Huan. And Li Huan, who was the secretary general, of a KMT party. So that is a, a really a biggest contrast between two candidates, and it's interesting to watch. Right now, Li Qinghua is slightly ahead. Thank you. All right, so those are your panelists. That is their take on the legislative election. Uh, please give them a hand. They've been fantastic. You've been listening to the ICRT ECCT 2016 Election Roundtable. This has been a special program for the Taiwan This Week podcast stream. Do keep listening to this stream for our weekly coverage of Taiwan news. We will, of course, be serving up a healthy dose of Taiwan politics each and every week as we get closer to that election, along with all the other news stories that Taiwan has to offer. And also, keep it tuned to ICRT for our full election coverage throughout the week. That's coming to you each and every day on ICRT FM 100. That is it for today for ICRT. I'm Keith Manconi. See you next time.